All right, everybody. So we're back here with episode 19 of the Red Letter Day podcast. And I'm bringing on two guests today, not just one, but I got two. I got Jason Tabaldo's back and Mr. Liam McGettigan is joining us again. Yo. So he's excited to be here as always. <laughs> Coming straight from work today. So he was a little yes, busy, sir. but he always likes to hop on the mic. So exactly. we're bringing him back in. And I got to tell you guys, I'm happy today. I'm one happy individual driving around town, seeing some lower gas prices. Finally. Finally, we're in the high threes, which is still, in my opinion, a little bit. We need that lower. We need it back to we what do. it was. A little embarrassing that it's still that high for this country. But <laughs> we're getting there. We're paying less at the pump now. And I'm happy to see it as we end the summer here going towards the winter. So I don't know what's going to be going on with all that. I don't know if it's going to get lower. I don't know if it's going to get higher. I don't know if you guys have heard anything crazy about it or what your opinions are on it. I've heard a lot of scary things about the fall. I was going to say, doesn't it usually go up around like Christmas time? Isn't that usually like... There's dumping? more demand in the winter usually, right? Yeah. Well, I know that there's demand in the summer, but this year has been less because of the high prices. So I don't know if it's going to come down, keep going down, or if it's going to go back up for like the holiday season and then dip after I'm that. I'm just hoping because Jersey's been so high. You know, we brought up this chart that we were talking about before the yeah. episode even started. We brought up a chart just looking at the country and it's crazy to see like, you know, just the coast that's so expensive and you go towards the middle of the country. They're at about 340, 350 right now, which is high for them as well. But we're hoping that it's, I don't know what it's going to happen. It might just be like a population density type thing. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. You know, if there's a more spread out, they, you know, they don't have as many people buying from each station maybe. No, I agree. The same thing is Cali and New York are just so populated. We it's weird though because you would think, okay, more population, so demand is higher on the coasts, which would affect the price. But then again, yeah. isn't supply always naturally higher because there's more people? Yeah, but I mean, you also have the supply of actual stations as opposed to just the supply of the good in this case, right? So, like, even though you have the same amount of gas available everywhere, it's the number of people going to a specific gas station Mm -hmm. that, like, I think factors in. Because, like, if you have two gas stations in the middle of nowhere, they're competing with each other for a small pool of business. Meanwhile, here you have two gas stations. They could both be full all day long. So, they kind of have higher prices, um, so maybe that's what's going on with the density because obviously gas is gas. It's available everywhere. So. You go to any street corner in New Jersey, you're finding a gas station mm-hmm. kind of thing. It is weird though because they always cite the policy differences and then you literally see on the map. We were laughing because it looks like it's inverted blue and red. Mm-hmm. Like all of the states that we typically blue are red and the opposite for red and blue. But, uh, it, I mean, are there any actually policy differences that would make a di- that would no, make I mean, the difference? I, I know New Jersey used to have a gas tax. Um, I think, I think, they, I think they, do, they, but they're holding it. They, right they now. paused it because of the the high prices right now. Um, so I, sh- theoretically, there shouldn't be any policy differences. I, I think it might be just a. I think I think it probably comes down to population. Yeah, the higher sense. density areas tend to be a little bit on the bluer side. Right, so. Like you said, this chart the chart is funny because, like we just said, the <laughs> typical insane. the typical red states that we see this chart is backwards. So the the highest retail uh, gas prices are in red, and the lowest are in blue. So right now, some of the highest gas stations are uh, gas prices are in Cali and New York. So in this instance, they're red states. Which you look at this map and you're like, wait yeah. a second, this is very. Well, so I was wondering where they <laughs> were because when I when I saw that article about the national average being three ninety nine, I was like, is that disinformation? Because it's like four fifty yeah. where we live, so where is three fifty? You know, well, you also where you're living. That's the relevant. It's relevant info to somebody. You know, that's yeah. accurate somewhere, just not here at the moment. We also have to keep in mind in New Jersey, you have to pay pay the workers because you know we're. One, I think we're the only state. I think Oregon got rid of it. You can self fill there now. I think we're the only state in the country that still has yeah. the law. Also, oh, big news in regards to that. I was in Maine last week, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. when we went to Pittsburgh was my first time. Yeah. But this was the first first time I had to put my gas on my own. Mm-hmm. No problems. <laughs> nice and no. easy. Wait, this year was the first time. No, first time. I, I still have yet to. Year. I've yet to do it. You myself. never done it? No. It's it's the cool thing is, and this is one of the things I want to argue for why it should be the case everywhere. 
if you've never done it and then you do it, it's very empowering to do it yourself. Yeah, even though it's extremely you easy, and they do give you the directions. It's like I, I just did that. You know, I feel good about myself. It makes you feel good. When I, I fill my own gas in New Jersey, I feel like I'm doing something wrong. You know what I mean? I'm like, am I how do you this? how do you manage well, it? Sometimes I, I'm also I'm I'm late I'm out late a lot, so I'll pull up the gas station at like 2 a.m. or something, and there'll be nobody there, so I'll just like sneak over to the pump, just put it in my car. They don't even, they don't want to let you do it. I, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure that's like yeah. legal. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> sure it is. Like, I'm knocking the door from the FBI. Hello. Is Liam McGettigan here? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the raids are getting more, the raids are getting more frequent these days. <laughs> oh, we've heard about that one. So maybe the, <laughs> the Rapala household's going to get raided in the yeah. next few minutes now from pumping at the tank. But besides that big thing that we have on this podcast was, um, we see Liam in the gym a lot, pretty much every other day we're running into him. And Tobaldo and Liam always have good conversations that I'm a get to be privy to and hear <laughs> the ins and outs of. And one of those is definitely going to take place today on the Red Letter Day podcast. And that is, I know Liam's got a lot on it, Tobaldo as well. I'm pretty much just going to be here. I'm going to, I want to learn. You know, I like bringing people on this podcast and I like learning just as much as the next person. And I want to hear what this is all about, what's going on with technology in the schools, technology with our youth, even mm-hmm. the adult population. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I want you guys to just take it away, go from there, tell me what's going on. Cause I know Liam, you've been writing and hearing about it and everything yeah. and bringing it up everywhere. And I know you're a big advocate on one side of this argument. So I do mm-hmm. want to hear from you and what's going on with all this. Yeah. It's just something I think about a lot. Um, I, it's kind of weird. Like we grew up in a interesting time. It was kind of just introduced without anyone's consent obviously we all decided to purchase the devices and start yeah. using them and they they started going to the schools and it became more prevalent education really everywhere but i think like 15 years in being 22 i just been thinking a lot about what are the actually actual effects and the ramifications of all these trends it's literally infiltrated every single aspect of our lives it mm-hmm. i mean it's changed society fundamentally the way we discourse and interact socially politics, learn education. Yeah. That's one thing that we were talking about a lot. Like mm-hmm. that, that project I was working on advocating just to reconsider the place of technology in school, not even for a specific amount. It shouldn't be abolished in school. It's obviously useful, but this one thing that I hear and it's like a, not like a trope, but it's just a, a way of thinking that we have in society. There's just like this, this unassailable, undeniable march of progress that you just got to get on board and like just take the ride. Right. And mm-hmm. we, we can't it's like the notion is that we can't actually have a conversation about what we're doing and like how we want to implement stuff when I think it would be better to take some time, be a little more intentional and say, what are the effects? What do we actually want out of it? And not just let it take over our lives. Cause a lot of things that are sneaky that are happening that I don't think are Supremely beneficial. I think part part of the issue is how quick the innovation happened. You, know, yeah. you went for, you yeah. went from the pace is insane. I remember you know back you know when we were kids it was you know the first iPhone had been out but you know everyone was running around with their iPod touches and the next thing you know Isn't we're that we're, crazy we're looking it's wild like crazy that used to be what it is yeah we we've witnessed the entirety of the change yeah. of the evolution which is really weird which and is, we we also spent a lot of our formative years without it like I didn't mm-hmm. get an iPhone until I was. 14? No, I didn't get one. I didn't get, I didn't, I got an Android size point. I got yeah. a yeah, yeah, yeah. Samsung guy. Eighth, eighth grade. So uh, high school was my yeah. first iPhone. Yeah. So I got a phone in sixth grade. I got an iPhone in eighth grade. 
Yes, thank you. Uh, taps, <laughs> just using hand gestures. We're totally on the one, even, thing. The one even, thing with this mic, it's tough. We can't, this table, you know, it's yeah. not made for it, so yeah. we start going, you know. Yeah, this, is, this, is, this is all audio, but I'm we still gesticulating, <laughs> so you know what I'm saying. But no, uh, that's the thing. It's yeah, I, I, I even spent, and I always had an inclination towards moderation in my use of these things. Like, I think I had instagram or whatever from eighth to 10th grade Mm -hmm. and then in 10th grade i just deleted instagram didn't have until 12th grade and didn't spend a lot of time on my phone Mm -hmm. because i felt like it was pulling me without my full consent all the time into its world like yeah in the school i think one of the weird things is like we're socialized right like one okay you can use technology as a tool and it can aid your thinking the way you present information. But one thing that people don't consider about school is that's where kids literally learn to be people. All of your formative experiences with regard to how you interact with people your age, how you respond to authority, how you deal with problems, mm-hmm. right? You learn in school. Yeah. And if, if all of that interface you had with people is now mediated by a device, what does that do to the output when these people are 18, if you would have had 12, 13, 14 years of just pure face-to-face interaction with people, mm-hmm. but now five minutes times seven periods times 365 days times 13 years was taken away by yeah. someone's face in their phone. What does that do mm-hmm. to the output on the aggregate for society as a whole, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and then you now got to merge, you come out of that world, right? Where, you know, you're communicating with people through a screen rather than in person. You're doing that. You're, you're texting at the end of class rather than talking to your classmates. Yeah, exactly. And you come out of that world and you go into the workforce where not everyone, you know, we've got a mix of generations. You know, there's people who are in their fifties you'll be working with. That's not the way that they communicate. That's not the way that they no, operate. No. You know, it's a completely different ball game. And, you know, the, the workplace is moving, moving in that direction with things like Microsoft Teams and Slack. It's, it's becoming almost similar there where you'll see people just discussing things, you know, via chat online rather than actually having a, a face-to-face meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more frequent that you have an online virtual meeting. Mm-hmm. But there's still people that need that, that won't discuss things that way. They need to get on the phone with you. They need to, they need to talk to you in person. Let's sit down and figure this out. And the today's youth who, who are being raised through these screens, they might not be equipped to handle that. And then how does, how does these generations match? Well, the rules, there's a weird incongruency because the rules of the road, and I, I, we can talk about it for sure, probably get to all the points, but I just wrote an essay about this, mm-hmm. about these, this fundamental incongruency between like how, we navigate the digital realm and then how we navigate life on the ground. So if you bring back some of these habits and you try to apply some of the habits that are beneficial or just permissible online to real life, it doesn't track always. It's not always the most effective strategy. Like we're saying, you don't have to deal with the immediacy of the interaction online no. right Mm-mm. and it empowers people to treat people a lot differently than they would in real life right? with social media we can go into that like you could tweet anything and anything you want but you would don't you say it to somebody's face no you no would. Yeah, people are trash talking the rock celebrities yeah. would you say this to you know mm-hmm. conor mcgregor would you shit talk conor mcgregor to his face <laughs> never but would you on never. twitter yeah so many people do yeah. why not it's there there's no it's repercussions you can't do anything yeah and if you don't want to see something i think this is utilized less but it's still an aspect if you don't want to see something or interact with someone, you can just make them go away. Yeah. 
And walk. you never have to deal with them ever again. And that's a problem of not being able to be exposed to opposing views. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So if you don't actually have yeah, echo chambers, if you don't have that exposure, then how do you know how to deal with that when it happens in real life? And also, how do you actually fix problems and speak mm-hmm. to people who you, whom you have to work with? Like, yeah. for example, people that you're, you live in the same country with your fellow citizens, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't ever have to hear what someone else has to say, then how would you know how to actually deal with that when it actually, when it happens? Yeah, and, and not to, to, to bring it like too far into politics, but if you, if you look at it, I mean, it's become such a polarized echo chamber. And I think this, the online, the social media is a factor in that. Like you've been saying, you can just turn people off that you don't want to hear. And you can also only hear the people you want to hear. And that creates a situation of where you just keep moving further away from being able to effectively communicate with the other side on both sides of the aisle. And then that becomes an issue of we can't get anything done because everyone has villainized the, mm-hmm. the other side. So, you know, that, that it, it extends to, yeah. to the, all the way up to yeah. the, the highest levels of government. So it's the divide and who you end up speaking to. But then it's also, like I'm saying, like I was saying before, the rules of the road in the social environment are different and also what it incentivizes are different. So the content of the discourse and the conversation is also affected. What's, what do we see? What do we see that's incentivized on social media? Is nuance incentivized? No, no, right? Not at all. What's incentivized? The most pithy, like succinct, emotionally charged little quippy one, statement one that you line, can find, right? One line tweet yeah, versus some, people putting yeah. up big threads of exactly. information. Exactly. So then if, if that's all the discourse is, the dis- if the discourse used to be a bunch of people who read and thought and spoke a lot about certain things, writing really informed pieces. And listening to opposing yeah, and, views. And, and, and actually, yeah, and actually staying abreast of what other people were saying and then ha- hashing it out. If that's what it was, now it's just a bu- it's a million one line it's clickbait statements. Yeah, that's all it is. And what's the value in those things? What's under underneath the, the six words that you posted, right? Yeah. It's not it's not super high. It's just clout, I guess. Yeah. That's, what, that's what people go on like, looking for to, exactly. to get their name big. All, all you have to do you don't actually have to solve a problem or offer a viable solution. You have to say something that is superficially laudable or you can give a applause too easily. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The whole, I mean, this is not, this is an example of the rhetorical implications of this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The yeah. organization, black lives matter, mm-hmm. right? This is not, we're not talking about the actual validity of the, the concept yeah. or the legitimacy of the claims that there's systemic racism or police brutality. But mm-hmm. If you name your organization something that literally no one can disagree with, it does pollute the conversation a little bit because it makes anything that organization does beyond reproach, right? Mm -hmm. Do you agree with, quote unquote, Black Lives Matter, the organization? It's hard to say no to that because then the response immediately can be, so you don't think Black Lives Matter? No, 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 no. It's not what I'm saying. There's two separate claims. Yeah. Do Black Lives Matter? And then do you agree with this thing called Black Lives Matter, right? But it's just these kind of like rhetorical quandaries that we get into when you don't actually have to have under- anything underlying what you're saying. So, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, the incentive structure is all different. Now, mm-hmm. do you guys think that this changed before COVID or because of the pandemic? I think, I, it's, like, I think it was, accel- it was definitely accelerated. accelerated. The, the, it was exacerbated. It, there's this 
book that my friend Luke Mathis was reading, and it was basically, I think it was, was him, it was about how democracies fall and the social situations that provide for, like, decay in the society. And there's all these underlying conditions that have to be there. Then there's an accelerant. That was one of the stipulations, an accelerant, like like throwing gas on the fire that's already lit, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what kind of COVID was. Mm-hmm. All the fundamentals were there, and then you forced people to interpret and experience more of their life through the screen. Through the screen. Mm-hmm. So all of the potential downfalls of using that kind of technology in that way were just exacerbated, mm-hmm. right? And I think, so the COVID pandemic, right? You see some of the repercussions now, but I think that you're going to see the most repercussions 10, 20 years from now. The reason I say that with exactly. the youth and our children now is yeah. I've seen it. There's actually a few kids in my life, not my own kids, not my, not my kids. The kids, you know, your kids are, are family, family kids. children. Yeah, my kids are. My kids are fine. They were raised well. They're everything. You know, they're doing well. They're off to college. You know, they're living life. But you look at it now, and you see. I see it a little bit too, and you hear news stories. Just kids with speech issues and kids with public interaction issues. And it's because they didn't get to go to preschool or kindergarten mm-hmm. or first grade. Or they did it with masks on. Exactly. They did it with or, masks on. Or they did it on Zoom. On Zoom. Mm-hmm. And they stuck, stayed at home with mommy and daddy. And it was pretty much, okay, here's an iPad. You know, occupy some time because it's time for mommy and daddy to go to work. And, and that's you know, all it was. It's that's daycare. All, you all of my parents, my entire family works in education. My sister is still in school, but she is. Both your parents are teachers. Yeah, they're both teachers, right? Elementary school. And they've been there teachers for like 27 years. And Fiona, my sister does aftercare and before care and she's one of the head aides um in that department in the school and they've been telling me i have no contacts right because i'm not there yeah i was at home covid i finished school whatever they spoke to me about their experience with regard to all these effects Mm -hmm. from covid and they're saying it also depends what years these kids missed right mm-hmm. some years are easier to miss than yeah. others i mean i feel like missing ninth and tenth grade wouldn't be the worst For thing us, ever college was different yeah yeah because we're already established we, we have yeah. habits yeah. we acquire a lot of those fundamental skills but if you're missing kindergarten in first grade that's like sending a preschooler to second grade yeah. and like you were saying it just passed it was passing time on zoom yeah i hope and i like to believe that they did their best to make the most of the experience for these kids during COVID and the situation. But a lot of it was just, all right, sign in, show your face on the Zoom, and let's Log off. check it off, you know? It's not the same thing as being in school. No. The public interaction is different, you know? Like, you could sing songs, do your song and dance in person. The kid's learning how to publicly interact with people. When you're on Zoom doing a thing, it's, you know, the TV's on, you know, your dog's running around the house, your little sister's off to the corner. You know, there's no focus ability. I, I didn't learn hardly anything in school on um, during COVID. I, I, mean, like, I, I, I had to. I didn't either. I, I did because I had to, but yeah. the retention wasn't the same as exactly. I, I, I got of, by, but I did a I didn't, lot of yeah, exactly. I didn't get a, the retention as much out of it. There. It was a lot of self learning, and, and to go to your point about the the social interaction, you know, it, it kind of hit me when I was taking a class. I was taking a class on uh, in like an English elective class, and you know, it was all virtual, all remote. And we get to like the last three weeks of the class and it's, he says, all right, we're going to do a group project at the end. And I'm looking and I'm like, I don't know any of these people. Like I have not spoken to these mm-hmm. people. You know, we, we, we've been on zoom. There's no, 
there's no before class. There's no after class. Oh, you know, what's going on with the homework? It's like, it's, it's all over zoom. I don't know anyone in this class. Who am I supposed to, you know, I don't know who to work with because, and that was for a lot of the people in the class. You don't know the people because you get on the teacher lectures for a little bit. You have a discussion, but it's just everyone saying their point to get the grades or literally then, posting something yeah, right, as a, posting discussion. a discussion. Oh, yeah, that's the worst. Oh, because it's always, Oh, I agree with your, I agree with that. Yeah. Hey, requiring two responses. Respond with yeah. sentences. Hey, Liam, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Yeah, I had a Next script. Next time, I would do blank. Good luck. <laughs> there you like, go. Oh my god, I couldn't stand those. And that's another one of the problems. Ah, dang it. Sorry. I'm handsy. I'm handsy. <laughs> okay. uh, that's another one. Everyone knows now. We mentioned it. Yeah. If they hear things, they know what Liam's okay. doing. He's exactly. this point. That's another one of the problems. My hands are straight up in the air right now. That's another one of the problems. The incentive structure is different, right? You're only being graded by meeting. Oh, thank you, thank you. Oh, shit. <laughs> I can't leave a pillow yeah. so you can bang on the pillow from now on. And uh, if you're only graded by meeting and checking off a certain amount of boxes, mm-hmm. then your primary task when doing your assignments is going to be checking off the boxes, mm-hmm. not actually getting anything out of or engaging in what you're doing. And that's a, a problem I'd argue was a, was a part of schools even before. 100%. Before technology 100%. became such a big thing, and it's now being exacerbated by the fact that it's all virtual. There's no reward for going above and beyond, yep. beyond checking the box. Not that there was that big of a reward before, but it was a situation of, you know, at least, you know, you would have the discussion and people, you know, you'd be able to discuss with your teacher and they say, oh, you know, that's a really good point. At this point, it's you turn in the assignment and that's it. Exactly. And if you talk to anyone our age or younger about their experience in school, especially online, and online schooling is much more prevalent now, even in schools that are now doing courses in person, they have options to do all remote, all remote, all online, asynchronous classes, right? You never Mm -hmm. meet Everyone that I talk to just says, oh, yeah, I'm just doing this. Get, just getting this done. Yeah. Just you, like you're literally not even thinking while you're doing the assignments. You're just I have a moving things from here to there, you know, typing this sentence, copy and pasting this, going on Quizlet. And what it's turning into, at least for higher education, is they're just selling you a piece of paper for doing a bunch of monotonous non-strenuous or engaging tasks over a period of a couple of years and, and then calling that a degree. That it's really sad. Yeah. And also what, what it's doing is it's devaluing the piece of paper which is why as the price is going up. That's why the whole thing where you didn't used to have to go to college to get a job. Now you have to go to college to get a job. What's next? You have to go to eight years of college and to get exactly. a job? And there's a lot of people years of college to get a job? 16. There's a lot of fields where that's the case. I mean, it's becoming more of a thing. That As it people, should be in some fields, for sure. So, some fields. Yeah, but they're really specialized. But, but, but there's a lot of fields that, you know, I, I, I saw, you know, for example, on Twitter, someone was like, I got a four-year psych degree. No one told me I wouldn't be able to find a job. Like, you know, some sort of a job. They, you got to go back to grad school. I mean, granted, granted, I did hear that for psych. But, but hey, no, no, no. But you talk to different people, right? Who knows? No, exactly. no, no. It's a consideration. It's you, you some expect, people don't know. And the thing that is sold some to you. Some sort of a job. Yeah. Not necessarily yeah. top tier job. But. What's sold to you is go to high school, get good grades. Four years Get a four-year degree. And then you can get a good job where you can support yourself and, and live a good life. And there's few but, fields that will do that. There's yeah, few. And what's pro- a problem is, is like we're saying, the pace of the technological advancement. This is another really just not related example, but conventional wisdom takes a while to change 
So mm -hmm. if your environment is changing super rapidly, the consensus on what the best thing to do is, Doesn't is probably going to be a little outdated. And also increasingly outdated in the world we live in because the conditions are changing so 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 quickly right and i i and i'm not i'm not you know sitting here saying at all don't go to college that's not the that's not the message no. i'm sending at all with, with this but it's kind of a situation of either you have to commit to maybe college plus you know plus yeah, the extra years because you know it's just not enough and you can't you can't go half in or half out you either have to not go or go for the extra for, for some of these fields and one of my one of the points I was trying to make, and one of the things I was thinking about with regard to the place of technology in schools, had to do with what is the purpose of the institution. Obviously, you want to utilize all the tools at your disposal to make the most out of the experience for the kids, but if the purpose is to equip students and Americans, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just talk yeah. about we're our country, of course. Yeah, uh, citizens with the knowledge, the know-how to go and do what they want to do and, and contribute and to society. Is technology aiding that? I'd argue in some if cases. If unfettered, you know? I'd argue in some cases it, you know, it very much is. Of course. And, and there's, you know, certain classes, you know, programming classes, there's, you know, classes where you, you know, obviously most people know how to type at this point. Yeah. But back in the day we had keyboarding and stuff like that. Those are classes that are real world preparing you for, you know, jobs where you're going mm -hmm. to need, you know, I'm on my computer all day. You know, that's part of my that's part of my job. And, you know, you have to learn the skills in order to do those types of careers and fulfill those roles. But yes. I think the problem is the extra supplemental stuff, specifically what 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 is going on on people's own personal devices more so than the learning that maybe happens yes. on a website yes. like Khan Academy, which is incredibly valuable use of technology. It's amazing. Um, but then you, you know. Half, half the people on Zoom, they're on TikTok during we, class. Yeah, we talked about that. So initially when I was working on that report, I was like, and I'm a super extreme person. So I was like, abolition. I'm like, there should be no technology in school mm -hmm. at all. And they were so saying. Before you get like really into it real quick. Yeah. This was something. Because I know Tobaldo actually brought this up to me. Yeah. So you did something. You went to our local high school. Pinelands Regional. Yeah. Where you were planning to go yeah. to. Was it yeah. There? I'm not done the project yet. But it's something I've been working on for like six weeks. And the project is to discuss why technology should not be allowed within schools. Not, not that it shouldn't Originally, be allowed. Originally that was kind Yeah. Of so that was. That's where he was. That was my doorway into the research because I had a couple insights, read a couple things that made me think, wow, maybe this isn't doing for us what we think. And then upon some further investigation, I realized, okay, no, we just need to have a conversation about how do we mitigate the negative effects of its place in schools? I mean, I, it's a question for society as a whole, hundred percent. Oh yeah. The ramifications go far beyond school, but it's a good place to start. It's a really good place to start. So yeah, that was basically like, the fundamental observation, hey, does a lot of good things, but it's having a lot of insidious effects, too, that there's no reason we can't address. It's completely up to us. You don't have to just fetishize technology and just blanket everything you do with it mm -hmm. in, in, in school, right? Like the whole thing of everything is smart board. Everything's smart board. Everything's, everything's on the computer. Everything's on uh, Google Classroom. Everything, we're going to do everything online. Everything. Calculator, right? Everything has to be... Funnel through technology, it doesn't have to be. I'm so Maybe good. some things are, are better off just left to you and a pencil or another person, you know? And a, the, a lot of the evidence that's cited as far as research and studies that were done really early on, there's some positive. And we know how precarious right, research is. Like mm -hmm. You can lie using statistics as much as you want, right? 
now there's a lot more studies that have been done that suggest there's a lot of areas where it's not really helping people. Like the incentive structure is different. For example, we're talking about how does it change the quality of the, of the work? How does it change the engagement with the work? I mean, I, I think Google, <laughs> applications like Google Classroom are are a terrible type thing. I think it's too much at I'm, times. I'm so exactly. I'm so glad Way we got it has a place for sure. I'm so glad we got through our schooling without it because so it's it's kind of a situation of you're now making kids reachable and accountable to school constantly outside. Teachers can assign assignments and they're making them do on the day and not during the class, mm -hmm. which I think, you know, at first you're like, okay, it's due by the end of the day. That's a better option. But in reality, it's leading to procrastination. It's leading to people staying up probably far later than they should working on an assignment from 11 to 11, 59, trying to cram it in yeah. before. And it's taking you know. away from those activities outside of school. Mm -hmm. Like for me, people just don't realize, I mean, it's always a big thing that I talk about, but kids playing sports, kids getting out, going to dance class, playing music, playing an instrument. That's important too. Mm -hmm. And having these assignments due at 11, 59 at night, where someone can procrastinate, quote unquote, procrastinate and wait to do it. They're not doing those other activities. They still could be, but there's that chance where they're just blowing off those well, other activities saying, I have an assignment. And, some people, and this. even while you're doing it, it's still hanging over your head. Then at yeah. 12.01, hey, guess what? It's the next school day. Yeah. It starts. Mm -hmm. Here we go. It starts. You and, can technically have an assignment now. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's creating, think about that. If it's always hanging over your head, it actually might, it might create more of an aversion in the mind of the student towards the work, because if it's always there, you might not be able to dedicate the attention that you would if it was just limited to the school day, right? Then you can have some time away, take a break, focus on something else, recharge, and then really attack what you're doing in school. Yeah. But if it's always there, you just want to get away from it, right? Mm -hmm. you, it, and you just, but the problem is it's that time that you spend away from it now doesn't feel as rewarding. I think that's mm -hmm. what you're getting at. You mm -hmm. know, there have been multiple times where, you know, against my better judgment, I've had an assignment due and I said, oh, you know what? I can take care of that later. Let me go do, you know, mid-COVID, you know, let me go play some Xbox yeah. instead for a little bit with some of my friends. And the whole time I'm thinking about, you know, I really should be doing this. It doesn't make that time enjoyable. Mm -hmm. You're not actually relaxing because no. in your mind you're thinking about, oh, I really shouldn't be doing this. You feel guilty about doing things that you need to do to recharge and really get back at those assignments. And then when you're finally doing the assignment, you're bitter because mm -hmm. it took away from the time you had It's ruining everything. It's, it's, the it's the whole thing where if the stimulus is always there, it's not going to be as stimulating to make it that basic. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? If I sit here and I continue to poke your arm, right? You feel yeah. it now. But if I did this for the next four or five hours, you're going to ignore it. It'll go away. Yeah. You're going to literally go away. If that schoolwork is always there and always stimulating you, you're going to ignore it and say, this isn't yeah. important. This is yeah. just part of my daily routine now. And access, like we're talking about, Khan Academy, the resources it offers you. Like, for example, in college, I was I had a lit major, right? I had a class solely about research, finding sources, citing them, using them in academic discourse mm -hmm. in your writing, whatever. I literally never read a single source that I cited in any of those classes. But... Upon taking up this task and being interested in this subject, the amount of information that was at my fingertips, I was reading entire studies, just like esoteric, obscure yeah. academic stuff, right? But I needed the information. That's so empowering to people. The Khan Academy thing, it's so empowering to people. But mm -hmm. at the same time, when you're doing your work in an environment, I, I, that was all elective. I chose to do all that. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be there. I wanted to do a good job. I took the time. 
I didn't have to, right? But if you're being forced to do it, it creates like that level, being, doing it through technology is that there's like a level of separation between you and the thing. And you never actually have to engage with it as much as you would if it was just you writing something down or you having a conversation or you going through a book, right? Mm-hmm. I know it sounds very old school, but I think it's true and it's evidenced by the conversations we have with people we know. Everyone just says, yeah, I'm just getting it done. I had a conversation with a friend <laughs> the other day who's in school online, right? And he's like, you know, it's, he, I was just listening to him talk. He's doing one class. He was like, you know, it's, it's online school. It's, it's, it's online. It's not supposed to be a priority. <laughs> like, it's a, it's your college degree. Yeah. He goes, he goes, you know, I'm, I, I'm home and I have a lot of responsibilities. I have, I got to, I got to train. I, I, I'm working. Uh, I, I have dogs. He goes, you know, but, and honestly, classes below the dogs. <laughs> he said, I'm like, that's fine. If you want to apply that valuation. Absolutely. To, to, it's his decision. But, but. Then again, even just the function, the change of functionality with it being online, you should value it just as much as being in person, right? But it does change how you perceive it and interact yeah. with it. Fundamentally, it does. You, you can't get away from it. You know, I took a lot of what you planned for it. Took a lot of you know classes that you know they were electives usually that you know I so obviously they they typically have less importance than your core major classes. But even still, you know, looking at those compared to maybe an online class I have that was in my major or an in-person elective, I'm looking at the online elective like, oh, you know, that's a, I'll write a quick little, watch a quick movie, write a discussion post, boom, 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 the other, this is the real deal. I got, mm-hmm. you know, I got a test coming up. I got to go in person. I'm taking this test. Yeah. You know, that's the real important stuff that you're really, you know, you're, you're not focused on that online class. It's almost like, eh. You know, it's little, it's just like going online, doing a couple of things, and you're done. Mm-hmm. And just because you guys brought it up before, I think you both actually mentioned it. Um, do you think that tech almost advanced, like, too rapidly for us? Or is it almost of a thing where we just, like, misused the advancement? Where uh, we just took it too, too – we took on too much too fast? I would say that it's a situation of the rules, laws, regulations – and, and that's on a broad, you know, government scale and on a local public school rule scale uh, from top to bottom did not keep up with the advancing of the technology. Um, you look in schools, you know, you see people not doing their work, you know, maybe watching a soccer game mid-class or something like that. Mm-hmm. Which we, um, we may have done plenty of times. You know, and, and, and it's a thing of that, you know, as much as, you know, a kid right now listening to me would hate everything I'm saying Mm -hmm. down the line, you know, you realize that's probably not really the best use of the time in the class. You know, you're you're there to learn. And then on, on a broad scale, you look at the, you know, the way that, you know, our data is handled on a large scale and and sold and, and, and you look at the way. Yeah. You're the product on social media in case you don't know. You're the product selling you. And and you look at, you know, some of these apps, you know, uh, you know, your brother, Vincent was telling me about this new new social media app just on the scene, like hot off the press. It's called Be Real. Yeah, my sister's and, on, my sister's and, on and it. And it's yeah. literally <laughs> like any any moment you're you're just posting, you know, oh, stop what you're doing and put it online. And on one hand, interesting take. I appreciate on, it to an extent. And on one hand, I say, well, that's a great because you, it, it solves Instagram's problem of you know. Every go, go looking online and saying, "Oh, everyone is doing something better than me." I exactly. feel terrible about myself. But at the same time, it incre- it integrates technology so much into your life that at any moment, it's like, "Oh, this is a part of my life now that I'm putting this online." Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's a double edged sword. Yeah. But 
you know, there, there's, there were no regulations about how, how we're marketing social media to people, how we're, you know, these big companies that own all these data and are selling them to, to ad providers. I think it's an issue of not that the innovation happened too fast. I think the innovations brought a lot of great things, keeping in touch with people, the way you can learn, the way you can yeah, get work but done. That, but I think it's yeah. a situation of we didn't put the regulations in place to take care of the negatives. We let mm-hmm. all the negatives and positives foster at the same rate. So I'm more of an absolutist. I'm more of like an excess. I have a more of an existential viewpoint on it than you do. So you're, and I totally agree that some of the onus is on the regulating bodies, government, right. To deal Mm -hmm. with some of these problems. But I think fundamentally it's the nature of the thing and how the nature of technology interacts with our lizard brains. Literally like, the think dopamine about, hit of going Exactly. Online. It's, I think it's so good at co-op. It's so foreign to our reward systems, to the evolutionary environment that our brains grew up in, that it's irresistible. And it gives you, your brain, everything it could ever want without having to do anything to get it. And you're talking about even one thing you mentioned, which I think, it's interesting. You said the social bond thing, social connections. One thing I've been thinking about a lot, and I was talking to my sister about it, and we did like a very unreliable study to try to confirm it, right? We literally like, I was, I was thinking about it. They did an update on Instagram. And now they're fielding potential updates for Instagram. They did it to like a certain percentage of the population, right? They use it. They're basically going to make the Instagram homepage like TikTok, like a for you page. Yeah, it's oh, all really? it's all algori- algorithmic videos, things you don't follow. Okay, um, because that's what TikTok is killing Instagram with time on the app. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were talking about social bonds, right? That was the main selling point of Facebook, Instagram, all these services. It's your community online mm-hmm. and more, yeah. and people in other states, people you can't normally interact with. It's not even that anymore, really. Mm-hmm. It, if you go on Instagram, when we were in high school and middle school, it was just people we knew. Yeah. Posting things, things they were doing with not really supreme quality. There, no one really thought too much about it. The comments were only people you knew. There was not a lot of spam bots yeah. on there, right? Now, if you go on your homepage on Instagram, even save the TikTok update, right? Styled update. Me and my sister and I looked through 10 posts on her homepage. One of them. Was from someone that we know in real life. I think five of them were sponsored. I think five of them were sponsored or ads. Three of them were famous people. Another one, two of them were suggested. And one of them was a person we actually know. So Mm -hmm. even the social bonds thing is eroding, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I... well, I, I wasn't so much discussing that. This is something I just, I I mean, social media... You know, there's a lot that needs to change. I was more talking in the, the case of, you know, things like iMessage group chats and, and, you know, FaceTime and things like that are great. You know, for example, right, Nick, Nick, go, I live here. I, I work here. Nick goes up to, to Rutgers at school. It's easy to stay in touch with Nick because we have this easily, you know, we have a group chat with all our friends. It's easy to, you know, stay in touch with him while he's hundreds of miles away up at Rutgers. So that's the kind of the benefit of technology. But then you look at what you're saying. It's on the flip side of where, where TikTok's moving it is you're moving away 
from your local, your community of people, you know, it's now pushing you into a broader world space of you're now seeing everybody. You're not just staying in touch with the people you want to stay in touch with. And, and I think there's a double-edged sword there because, you know, I'll go on TikTok and I'll see some really interesting takes. I'll see some really thought-provoking stuff, but I, I seek that out. You know, I watch those types of videos. Mm-hmm. A lot of people aren't seeing that type of thing. They're seeing just absolute, you know, nonsense, you know, on, on just one, you know, one sides of issues that, you know, it kind of, I don't want to use the term brainwashing, but... Um, you know, brainwashing them into to one certain ideology or they're seeing just absolutely, you know, things of no substance. It's just circuit. It's just circuits. circuits. Yeah. 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 That's all yeah. good. Yeah. Well, that's so problematic too. Mm-hmm. The, like the way sex is commodified on social media on TikTok is so yeah. scary. It's so scary. It's and what does that do to how people think about themselves, think about their mm-hmm. self-worth? Nothing good. No, no probably not. Good. <laughs> so I know it's like a, like we're sounding very like old and like you know very <laughs> traditional, but at the same time there's some value to barriers to yeah. access to that kind of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. how do you how do you think about yourself if the way that you can get the most praise and affirmation is by doing a quote unquote dance on TikTok, which is really just a euphemism for shaking your ass. Yeah profusely into a screen mm-hmm. it's it's something that should be considered mm-hmm. that's the main point and then someone posts good content you know something that maybe you could learn from and what six people see it <laughs> yeah Seven people see it mm-hmm. yeah. this podcast page and you, example, and you, and you what, have to people? see yeah, you have to seek thing. it out you know if you you know if there will be you know if i'm you know i i often you know i, I don't i'm not gonna say i get my news from tiktok that's not at all it but i i'll listen to viewpoints on all sides of issues on TikTok. You know, I'll go on there and I'll hear people discussing issues, talking about their takes on things, making really good points about really important world issues. And those are the pages we see more But the thing is, you know, you're not always in the mood for that. You know, sometimes you're like, all right, I'm disconnecting and, you know, I'll see, you know, gaming videos, that kind of thing. Someone shake their ass. If there's traps. Yeah, you see you see that on there. And then if you don't seek out the videos that are, and it's hard. They showed it to me. I wasn't looking. It was suggested. It was what I suggested. But if you don't, you know, you know, it's hard for your brain because, you know, you see those things like thirst traps and these women, it triggers your brain to say, Oh, you know, that's what we want to see. Mm-hmm. Not the the thought provoking things where you have to really concentrate. So you almost have to tell your brain, no, you've got to pay attention to this video. So you get more stuff like this. It's an internal battle about, with yourself. Yes, yeah. exactly. And think that's what I'm saying. It's corrupting the reward systems in our brain. Think and think about someone who their the entirety of their life, they had access to this kind of stimulus. We have 14 years of ammunition that we're hopefully hopefully tapping into, and I think luckily able to use yeah. context that says, "Oh, you kind of know what life is like without this, and how you, how you should interact with it, what the value of it is." But if you never had that experience, then how do you get away from it? How do you have that discourse with yourself if it was always the case? And this is one thing I was I was talking about with like I think in a way, yes, materially. Technologically, progress begets more progress. We're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna see more growth. We're gonna see more innovation. But think about it on an individual level, and this is one way that I try to formulate a lot of the questions I have. I look at an anecdotal experience in my life or someone else's. I say, what is the marginal effect of that thing? It might not be great for the single person. We talked about it, right? But then if you extend that throughout a population. 
then you see the effect grow. And then what does that say for everyone? So it's like, what are they talking about? Oh, the reward system thing. I always do this. At least one time I always forget what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, let's, let's, let's track back. Reward systems. Oh, here we go. Okay, on the individual level. Think about how this is so different than human experience for all of history. All of our evolutionary life. In order to get the benefits of a certain stimulus, you had to, to, work for to do something in the physical world to be presented with a certain thing or to feel a certain thing or to be in a certain place. You really don't – that barrier has been removed just to any of those results that you want right in your life. So I wonder – I'm not saying I know. I haven't done the research. I've done a study. But I wonder over time what the effect might be on like just total achievement for the society if all the things that would have required your effort and interest before you can just – Find yeah. or achieve at the click of a, a click of a button, right? Yeah. Think about what your brain, your lizard brain, is thinking when you're watching someone do a super cool trick, you know, in the X Games or or say a speech or and not. These things are great to to obviously view and to watch, of yeah. course. Or or do something monumental or momentous or affect a lot of people or something super cathartic. Your brain is under the impression that you're there and that thing's happening or your brain real. also in a vicarious way, your brain's under the impression that you're doing that thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So if your whole entire life, you're just satiated harmonally by that, by that stimulus. And then what incentive do you have to actually go do anything or to, to go get it yourself? Why would you, why would you go do that? If you could just, if there's a pizza in the fridge, right? Why would you go to the store to get one? Like, why would you? Why would yeah. you cover that distance? There's no reason to. So I just think that's like that's the fundamental. Some of the fundamental questions and issues I have. Like, I don't know if our if we're equipped. And you're saying it happened too fast. I don't know if we're equipped to parse the power of this thing, right? Hmm. It's it's crazy. Yeah, it's almost it's really weird to think about. It's almost as if I mean it, it is as if. There's no true answer to that. Mm -mm. No. Like, nobody knows now. I think knows. we're seeing a little... There's some examples in the real world, though. Like, I was thinking about... Okay. Everything is... So much we're talking about nuance, right? Is not valued on, online. Mm. Obviously, there's there's places where... I mean, it has value in the real world. I think that's objective, yeah, right? In the workplace, you could yeah, say it exactly. does. Oh, but online, and I don't think at all. At the end of the day, academically, it does, right? Intellectually, but... Since everything is so much more about presentation and superficiality and what it looks like on the outside. And that's what the incentive structure encourages. Think about how that's affecting actions in the real, real world, right? This is one example I thought of. Taiwan, right? Yeah. Nancy Pelosi going to Taiwan. You know, the White House, they said they didn't want her to go. DOD said maybe don't go. She went. It's okay. Yeah. Whatever. She went. It mm -hmm. is what it is. Not going to talk about whether she should have went or not, but yeah. let's just think about what her motivations were for going, and what we got out of her going. Was there something ha that happened that precipitated her trip there directly? No, I mean, you, could, you could say that right? there were escalating tensions okay, over okay. a period oh, of time. Okay, fair, and you could also argue that would be a reason maybe to not go right now. True. When True. when we think about what did she achieve diplomatically with 
Taiwan? Do we get anything materially out of Taiwan? Did anything fundamentally about the situation change with our relationship economically with regard to Taiwan? She really just went to go. Not Essentially, to speak, I, I would argue. This, I, okay, this I, I think you can make an argument that she, we didn't get much out of her going. I think this speaks to the trend of us grafting onto material, real, the real world, the incentive structure of this social of, media, of, of social media, the social media space, the right? Of publicity stunts. Exactly. Yeah. It's like you're doing it just yes, for the views. Yeah, you're compelled to do something on social media because it's going to look a certain way. Because I can say that I did this thing that maybe might not be the best strategy in the real world. She, I, I don't think there's any supremely. There's nothing that you could cite that would make me say she had to go. Let, let's just say, me personally, right? Had so, to, no. Yeah, so it's like, and what did we get out of it? Then, then, you can, then you can extend it further and say, wow, this might actually be a corrupting element in our society because it definitely didn't make things better that she went. I, I'm not saying that what's happening wouldn't have happened anyway at a certain point. Probably in this mm-hmm. decade it would have. Yeah. Anyone, anyone who knows the situation would argue. Not me. But it happened right after. So this is an example of how something that's effective in the social media space might not be in real life. And I think we're going to see that continue to play out. I don't think that the same thing would have happened if social media didn't play as big a role of it does. As it does. I got to ask you guys. It's a, it's a lot. Yeah, it's super heady. But with this, we can talk about this all day. Mm-hmm. This could just go on and on. But do you guys think that celebrities, more famous people, influencers, for example, do they know what's going on? Like, do they know what they're so, like? So In what way? Doing? Like, understanding the fact of publicity stunts, like Nancy Pelosi, for example, or any any celebrity where they're doing stuff. Do they know that there's no substance behind this? I'm just doing this to see. I don't think it matters. Like, or I mean, they I think believe just, that it's true or I believe they're, in what they're doing. It's a way of life. I think it's both. I think they're just responding to the incentive structure, like we're saying, right? They're saying, okay, if I do this thing or I act in this way, I'm going to get this result. And I want that result. I want the clicks. I want the attention. I want the clout. I think there's some cognitive dissonance that allows them to think that they really are making change, doing something meaningful. That's also the the whole thing that I'm talking about, the superficiality. And is anything actually happening on the ground? What is activism? Like, what is the... 20th, 21st century iteration of the civil rights movement in partially is just people saying things and shouting into a void online. There's even like, think about it's super valid. We have to pursue people's, the protection of people's civil rights, civil liberty. It's, it's absolutely essential. Mm -hmm. Everyone should be treated the same at all, at all, at all times under the law. hundred percent. But some, there's fundamentally things that are different about the way we're operating now with regard to these issues. Was there a, explicit platform that people were advocating for with regard to, you know, Black Lives Matter or whatever. Like, was there anything that we really wanted to achieve? With Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights Movement, there were specific there was a, there things were, they wanted there to specific achieve. specific goals specific, laid out. Yeah, legislation no. they, they wanted to see. Ex- laws they wanted to see enacted and passed. It's literally more so than it was before. People just saying slogans. Mm-hmm expressing emotion in a nondescript way, you know? Well, I, I would I would argue that... The, and where's that gotten us? And I would argue, you know, you're using it as an example. I would argue that in, in terms of as a 
a movement and an activist movement. In, in this century, I'd argue that the Black Lives Matter movement was actually one of the most successful movements at actually laying out a plan in terms of obviously the, the word the defund the police was not that's it doesn't mean defund the police. What does it mean to most people? It means, you know, move funding away from from not all funding, but move some funding away from policing towards mental health experts who can help in the field. That's what a lot of people, you know, who actually understood the points were were uh, were, you know, trying to, to move forward those types of goals of, OK, maybe the police aren't equipped to handle all situations. And, you know, that that's kind of what a lot of people in, in the movement were saying. Um, and the problem that, that they faced was that the fund, the, the police slogan, it doesn't it doesn't relate to the thing. But if you look at, you know, a lot of other political movements online, it's even less successful in that there is no end goal. There isn't mm-hmm. end goals for a, a lot of a lot of movements. That was one. And you're and I agree with you. Yeah, that, I you think know. it's I think it's even more muddy than you're saying, because mm-hmm. you, you're right. They had some specific things that they wanted to they had a direction. Yeah. I guess, but it still wasn't explicit. No, even, and even if no, you combine it, 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 sh- it, it needs to be. Yeah, if you combine, if you combine some of the other language, like the ACAB, right? All all cops are bastards. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's you could argue that maybe defund the police didn't mean completely disband the police. Mm-hmm. But then again, if you put that next to all cops are bastards, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard yeah. to make the case for. Hard to disassociate the two. Yeah, exactly. How, mm-hmm. how do you have one without the other? You can't like disassociate the two in that um, situation. I don't yeah. think it. I'm just saying I don't think it made their efforts as effective as they could have been. You know, or any anyone's in this environment, right? That's just. I don't want to like. I don't want the argument. I don't want to risk the argument being criticized because of the example we're using. Yeah, just no. one example that's yeah. politically relevant in society mm-hmm. today. We're saying nothing about the fundamental claim. No, no, making. no. Just yeah. yeah to I mean, be, we said to be, before, but just, just to, to be, be clear, yeah, we're not clear, trying yeah. to get into the, the yeah. politics. But it's useful because it's everyone knows, right, yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, before we, in a, in a way, we're trying to help. We're trying to mm-hmm. provide some insight that might aid our and their efforts. You know. Mm-hmm. So we we've talked a lot about you know the 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 impacts of technology today, especially on the youth. So before we go, I know you had said at the start that you took a much more um, all encompassing approach in your proposal to, to technology. Has that changed and kind of, you know, what is exactly your, your proposal at the moment? And I know you're not finished with it. Mm-hmm. So, so, but what, what is your idea for this will fix our situation in schools at yeah. the moment? Yeah. It's a really good question. And like I said, I don't even know a hundred percent yet, but I have a feeling as to where the answer might lie. One of the conversations I had that, made me start thinking this direction was with teacher. We all know Mr. Grancia mm-hmm. and he came to see a show I was in in New York in, uh, in May and we were having a conversation after we were like going out to eat and he was just talking about the state of the school, right? I was asking cause you know, he we went there. I'm, I don't go a lot and visit. So I want to know how things work. And he was saying more so than ever before. He felt like he was competing with technology and the phones that his students have for, their attention. Yeah. And he felt, and so his wife reiterated the same point, Mr. Rancia, that they felt disempowered in the classroom as educators. That's and hard. I, That's your career. Yeah. Like that? And there are two people who put out, are so effective and intelligent and like motivated, right? And put out a lot into their teaching and have a really marked effect on their kids. Like I still talk to Mr. Rancia every week. 
I've been out of high school for four years, mm-hmm. right? Uh, like we were saying, <laughs> I moved below. <laughs> like, we <were> saying, <laughs> like we were saying, in this increasingly technology saturated world where there are specific careers that require technological expertise, everyone needs to know how to type, right? Mm-hmm. There's coding. Yeah. I think it would definitely be beneficial. If someone knows they want to go in that direction, then yeah, give them the tools to start learning one of the languages in ninth grade, in eighth grade. If they have the if they have the capacity and the, the interest, mm-hmm. why not? And expose them to it, yes, it expose no them. What, yeah, get, so they can exactly. make that decision. Just get the fundamentals, right? Get yeah. context. So it doesn't, that's what, and so this is a point Tobaldo had. I'm like, okay, we can't abolish it. No. And I, obviously, I think it's, yeah, we can't abolish it, right? So what is the place, what is this place going to be? I think I had two questions, right? I just pose everything as a question, right? Because I don't want to make any claims. To I want to just encourage the conversation. One of them was, can we collect kids' phones? And this is the the attention thing is the most salient point that needs to be made. Computers distract less than phones. Kids don't carry around their computers with them from, from class to class. As long, have, yeah, as long as it's not a personal exactly. computer. Yeah, yeah, they have computers given to them, right? Phones are the most tricky one to deal with and the ones that are most incessant as far as attracting okay. kids' kids' attention. And watches, yes. So there's other accessories that go with it. But I can just say the watch is the phone, right? Yeah. It's essentially it's, the functionality it's, it's, of the it's, phone. It's an extension. And the accessibility of the phone, right? So could we collect kids' phones in homeroom? They have homerooms still, I'm assuming. I don't know the structure of the day. Let's yeah, just assume they have homerooms, right? Yeah. We can collect kids' phones in homeroom, and they could access them if there's anything pressing at any mm-hmm. time, return to their homeroom. We could establish a procedure for that, right? They collect again at the end of the day. Another suggestion was this. And the Francia gave me the idea. And we've seen this in classrooms before. They have, like, little uh, pockets, right? Like, like this, for calculators. Exactly. Like, mm-hmm. a, like a little slot. I have to put your phone in. So... I'm actually going to see Bill Burr in a few weeks, right? Yeah. There's this Love thing him. now that artists have where, so I'm going to walk into the Wells Fargo Center and what they're going to give me is a pouch for my phone. I'm going to put my phone in that pouch and I'm going to close it and it's going to lock. No way. I cannot access that again until I leave the arena, unlock it, take my phone out and, and then return it. Package. That's mm-hmm. so awesome. So something for the schools. Exactly. It's a really simple response to a Super complex issue, obviously. And yeah. it's actually really kind of cool and interesting that something so simple could have such extreme ramifications. It could, it could address so many problems with, with just literally one little, one, one, little, little one little thing, one little idea. So I think this would be the more attractive idea. Have one of those in every single classroom, a place they could – it doesn't have to lock. Maybe that would be the, probably the best way. But as long as it's distant from the kids – Spatially, I mean, you have gonna, to lock yeah. it so it doesn't get stolen. Okay, fair. Um, so that's a consideration for sure. We got to protect people's pro- property yeah. for sure. But it's like, okay, in the, then then we have the solve of like in the hallway. Great, you can check your text from your mom. Hopefully, it's just from your parents, so you're focused, yeah. right? We know it's not going to be the case. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, update a Snapchat, whatever. Do you got to do in the hall, right? It'll be real, exactly. Be real in the hall. Send a snap. <laughs> make a post. You know, make a phone call. Call your doctor. I don't know. Whatever you have to do. <laughs> when you get into class, the policy might be, and so there's no discrepancy between different classrooms, which would discourage how much people actually adhere right to the new rule. You will deposit your phone 
in this pocket, in this pouch, at the beginning of every class. If in the prescribed activities for the day, there's something that could be assisted through the use of your phone, at your teacher's discretion, you could go retrieve it and use it for that, that activity. Or you could even say, you know, with how many pieces of technology, you know, the kids have Chromebooks now. They yeah, have them. exactly. You know what I mean? You don't, you don't need the phone for anything no, no. that the Chromebook But maybe there's something that that the functionality okay. the phone has that the computer mm-hmm. does. And let's just say, that for sure, there's a couple instances where that might be true. Let's see what happens, right? Make it an experiment. Why are the, the fundamental question is, why are the kids there? The kids are there to learn. They're there to get socialized. Maybe not explicitly as far as the purpose of the school, but that's what happens, right? If teachers have this experience and there's enough academic and evidence to suggest that the effects of having it in the classroom, no holds barred, are at least neutral, right? They're maybe not horrible, but they're definitely not supremely positive. Let's take some action to, to address it. I think it's really hurt by trying this. No, no, no. I mean, you you will be the least popular person in finance, but But maybe down the line, you know, and it's almost doing what people don't know is best for uh, them. Exactly, and this is why I think all schools have a responsibility to at least hear this out because if they don't, they're not fulfilling their responsibility as institution. Mm-hmm. They have a responsibility to ask these questions. And here's the thing. Like you're saying, yes, initially there's going to be pushback. No one wants to have their phone. But this is one of the anecdotes that compelled me to have this point of view. And I think that made me think in this way from an early age. When I was young, younger, in high school and middle school, I used to get in trouble a lot at home. For good or for bad, whatever. Often my phone was taken from me. I would kick and scream and push back and be angry and my parents taking my phone. They would make me go to school with no phone. Crazy, right? How did I survive? Unheard of. But, you know what? Never failed to be my impression of those days where I didn't have my phone. They were the best days I had in high school and middle school. And you probably remember them the most. I remember them the most. I was the most engaged. I had no choice but to be. And when you're given no choice... It's pretty easy just to say, all right, let's see how this goes. Mm-hmm. And how empowering it is to really be in the moment that you're in and not be constantly. And what I found is I didn't miss it. I missed it for 15 minutes on the bus and then I got to school and I never thought about it one more time throughout the day. It's something that we have to try. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we'll see how it goes. I, I don't see why we couldn't at least... See what's up. Keep us posted. Try to help that last anecdote, like, I'm rooting for it. Cool. Yeah. I'm rooting for you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Because I'm not going to lie. You coming in. I've it's hopeful, it. you know, I, I feel like. I heard this idea from Tobaldo because he told me at first, and I've heard it from you talking about it. And to be totally honest, I was just kind of like, eh, you know, never going to happen. Like, what's the, mm-hmm. what's the, what's the, what's worth the effort? But hearing you explain it and hearing why it could be important and what it could do for these kids and what it could do for teachers and educators you got to try something yeah. like that. It and we hurt to try, yeah. or at least hurt to bring up the point and argue to parents, to the board, to administration, like, hey, just give this a look. Give me a reason as to why we shouldn't do it and or reasons why we should do it. And we go from there and we mm-hmm. see and we see what benefits these students, these kids and us too, you know, college classrooms, mm-hmm. whatever, yeah. wherever you do, even the workplace, same thing. Mm-hmm. If you don't need a phone, you don't need a phone. And it could translate, not you specifically, <laughs> but it depends what you're doing in the workplace. If you're mm-hmm. working, you know, 
on a construction floor yeah. or out on something. You don't need it right that second. No. You know, take your break, you look at it, have it locked up and come back to it. So I think it's something that it's it's going to only benefit to take a look at it. There's Thanks. no negative yeah. looking at it. And one, one thing we won't, we won't go into right now, but there's another there's one more point I want to make that you could argue also the school has a medical responsibility to address this problem too. Because since the introduction of social media and technology in, in youth, 2009 to 2012, Facebook was like 20, I think Facebook really picked up usage in 2012. There is a mental health epidemic among young, uh, among young people mm-hmm. in the United States. And it's not talked about a lot. The research is out there. It's, it's coming, it's becoming more prevalent and substantiated every year. But reports of depression, loneliness, self-reports of depression, loneliness, anxiety is up by like at least 40% in the past since 2012 and self-harm rates and hospitalizations for self-harm and suicide attempts are comparably so increased it's it especially affects young girls so and there's a lot of evidence to suggest that the way that their social life is being conducted now as a result of cell phones and social media is one of the primary causes so that's another thing that's included in the piece in the presentation but Added with the educational and social considerations, I don't see how that's not a mandate to try to do something to fix it. When you bring in the health aspect of that, it makes it more doesn't serious. it makes it so much more like so affecting much, yeah. emotionally. It's a serious too. topic, regardless. It really is. It's it makes it uh, brings it down to earth and why we should be looking at this more. The graphs are directly time. And intensity aligned with the introduction. And correlation is not imply causation. We know the logical mm-hmm. fallacy. But at the same time, like, there's not a lot of other leading theories or hypotheses well, I mean, the, for the, why the this is the case. The only other pushback that I, I have seen to, not exactly this no, specific please, yeah, I want to take, was um, that it's now of a situation of the, the, open, the more open discourse about mental health, the better understanding of mental health issues has led to more cases of mental health issues actually being reported. So yeah. ADHD okay. no, and depression exactly. because of, and I'm not, I'm not discrediting. You're hundred percent right. But I'm bringing in the opposing. So there's a social scientist that everyone should listen to. If you want to know more about this, his name is Jonathan Haidt. He's a psychology professor at, I think NYU. And one of his responses to that critique is yes. Self-report. That's the first thing I said. Self-report is up by whatever percentage, but hospitalizations for self-harm are up by the same degree. True. Okay. So if you combine those two pieces of data, it suggests that because hospitalization would have been, would have been unaffected by the discourse, right? If you were being affected by, by poor mental health, you would have been hospitalized anyway, right? I don't think the discourse would increase hospitalizations. So no. The, those two, two things combined suggest that there is actually okay. legitimate uptick. That makes right? a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, I think that's hard to argue against him. It's not put to bed. There's a Google Doc he has. Go on his website, Jonathan Haidt. Anyway. Uh, Jonathan Haidt? Like Jonathan, yeah, H- like... H-A-I-D-T. I think it's like German or whatever. Okay. okay. But um, yeah, he's one of the like leading guys talking about this. Someone I've read and watched a lot of talks from. But anyway, yeah. It's just something to, to think about. Moving and totally, forward. I got to say, you two... Two of the brightest minds I know at this table Thank right you. now. And that's just not me saying it because you guys are here. I love hearing you guys go back and forth. <laughs> so, I, thanks for your opportunity. One of my favorite things to do is is to talk through things that I'm we're thinking about. And it gives you a second to yeah. you know, put your thoughts together. Exactly. And you do that put them in order. well. It's all mm-hmm. the same way. You guys just trying to get, trying get better at it. Thank you. And I Thank love you. it. I just love like, asking you guys go back and forth. So definitely with the mental health thing, with anything, this is the second time you've been on. And let me tell you, I know I said it last time I want to do it more. 
But coming back now, I want to try and do this, you know, make this like a reoccurring Please. more often. Please, that'd be yeah. so fun. With you coming on and your ideas. And even if it's just not a solid idea, just coming on and, hey, yeah. I got to talk about hey. something. Yeah, pitch. Some even a short mind. segment, you come on 10, 20 minutes. Like, even though, you know, I'm sure it'll go yeah. a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, we always just keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I love when you guys come on. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. This Seriously, whole thing, so everyone fun. take a look at this, man. Go talk to Liam if you see him, Jason, even ask me, I'll ask them questions. Yeah, we're nerds. Yeah. We're nerds. We love well, it. They 100%. want to hear all the information. So Liam, we ended with that, you know, talking about all that, but Liam, we're sticking around today. We have a weigh-in segment. Yeah. On. So if you want to hang out, you I want to come join us. I love this is all about. Yeah. All right. So Liam's hanging out. Tomorrow's coming back for the weigh-in segment. We're not done quite yet, everybody. So sit back and here we go with the weigh-in. So we're calling right back to you guys with the weigh-in segment. Tobaldo's still there. And Liam did not leave. He actually just stayed in his seat. Didn't even move a muscle because mm-hmm. he's excited <laughs> to see what the weigh-in segment is about. We explained it to Liam. For all you guys that listen, you guys know what it is. So we're going to get right into it. Today, Tobaldo found a story for me to read today. Um, you know, Tobaldo's voice, he's been talking I said, I mean, a little bit, a little bit too much talking on the podcast. <laughs> can't, can't read a story. <laughs> Tobaldo needs a bit of a break. So I'm going to take this one over. But it relates to the technology discussion that we just had. So today's question. Today's am I the asshole? Is it uh, is am I the asshole for taking my sister's side over my parents about technology restrictions? So the story goes as follows: My, who's a 17 female, parents who are 42 and 43, think my sister. She's 13 and a female as well. Uh, she's a sister, so she's mm-hmm. a female. Mm-hmm. She's 13. Well, thanks for clarifying, just because. Just to make sure. So, my parents think my sister is spending too much time on her phone and laptop on games and quote unquote unproductive activities. So they want to link all of her devices to Google Family Link to monitor everything she spends her time on. Time spent on apps, her browsing history, locking the phone at particular times, etc. Additionally to this, every app she installs will notify my parents. I do get where they're coming from about this, but for me, this is a little bit too much time on her phone. But I think this is unnecessary and completely the wrong way to go about solving the problem. Obviously, my sister isn't happy about this, and I said that she wasn't a small child anymore and should be allowed to have her privacy. This didn't go over well with my parents, and I ended up wondering if I was being unreasonable and just didn't get it because I wasn't a parent. Fortunately, they didn't manage to get Google Family Link working. Something about issues with their, with their email address. With their competence? <laughs> but they're going to keep trying, and it looks like they're going to try again within the next few days. Am I the asshole for not agreeing with my parents, or are they in the wrong here? This is a tough one. This is a really tough one, because there's two sides of the coin here, right? Because there's obviously, you know, they're your parents. They have the authority to tell you you're doing whatever you want with with these devices. But there's also the, you know, the kind of the individual privacy rights that I think also are important to respect in terms of a situation like this. I think I'm going to go nobody's the asshole here. I don't think she's the asshole for pushing back on her parents because she's standing up for for her sister's privacy. But I think it's well within, you know, the parents authority to say, look, this is too much time. I think they may need to do a better job of evaluating you know, what time is beneficial and what isn't, you know, for example, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say playing games is beneficial to your long-term career, but you know, at times like COVID where you can't go outside, you can't see your friends, you know, some of the ways you can stay connected is through playing games online and things like that. So I think it's, I think the parents need to reevaluate the privacy aspect of it, maybe give her a little bit more privacy than they're planning on. And I think it's a situation of they maybe need to reevaluate what is actually beneficial but I'm still not going to call them the asshole because at the end of the day, they're trying to solve an issue that they see in their daughter. And I, I, I respect them for that. What are you thinking here, Liam? Okay. Uh, do I have to pick an asshole? You don't have to. You, you, go, so you, the way it works, you, can, you can say somebody's an asshole, somebody's not. You go, everybody okay, is. There's basically, nobody is. Yeah. It's up in the air. 
I'm a, I, ha- I had the revolutionary spirit in me. You know, I, I want to oppose authority. If I had to choose an asshole, it would be the parents. Okay, I want to push back a little bit. I, I just think that their program, I, I agree, the sentiment mm-hmm. is understandable. But I think their program is a little authoritarian. Okay, a little yeah. draconian. It's strong. It's yeah, strong I mean, dude, yeah. knowing when the phone locks. Yeah, that, okay. Knowing when the yeah, phone that locks. Is, that's why I said, I think so. I need, this is insane. I think I mean, the, the and, browsing history. Yeah, the like, browsing history. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't survive. <laughs> so it's like, okay, I agree with the need to address. Also, I don't have enough information about how bad her usage and her preoccupation was. Did it yeah, say that? Pretty they, much just like the, the sister pretty much just said that the parents think she's just doing unproductive activities, but besides too much time, they didn't So yeah, that could mean a lot, a lot of, of things. things. That could be everything from... And what is too much time? Exactly. That could be everything from the parents being unreasonable or to like a medically diagnosable addiction, addiction yeah. to technology, which a certain percentage of people who use technology have. I think it's like mm-hmm. 15% or 20%, yeah. whatever. So I think I'm lacking a little bit of context, but mm-hmm. if I had to choose one... I'll pick the rents. Yeah, yeah. I'd say that, like, it's a situation of they're going overboard, but the sentiment is right. Yeah, it's just, I agree. It's a little, it's a little much. <laughs> I also think the way the story is told, it's coming from a 17-year-old female, right? And then it's about her 13-year-old sister. So that 13-year-old is still at that point, because we just talked about it on the episode yeah. like, when we first got phones. This is a point where this girl could or could not have a phone and it'd be fine either way. Yeah. So I feel like the parents saying, okay, your time is restricted. Is okay. But yeah. the Google link thing, that's a little bit of a step too far for me. Uh, yeah. I'd agree. Like, being able to see what she's doing is wrong. Limiting it is fine. Like, mm-hmm. if I was to take your phone and be like, you can't use it for today, like, that's mm-hmm. acceptable. Or if but you like limit being specific able to things. Doing. You know what I mean? You know, you could limit specific, like, R-rated content, for example. Yeah, and that like, wouldn't like, be well, a problem. Whether the Disney Plus does, like, the kids version. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know a what I mean? teenager, but you know what I'm yeah. saying. Like, yeah, really there's sure some honest. privacy and, like, moral considerations with how invasive, like how much access someone else has to your phone technology, because in a way it's like an extension of yourself, you know? So I don't, I think that's something needs to be considered. Like there's something I read about relationships, people in relationships having access to someone's location is like toxic in certain ways. I agree with that. And this is not the same thing exactly, but just having unfettered access to something that's an extension of someone's person now at this point is something that's definitely needs to be considered. And I don't know what the rules are within the United States, but somebody commented here, um, the monitoring would be a gross violation of their daughter's privacy. Yeah, exactly. And in some European countries, it would be illegal to force it on her because children do have a right to privacy themselves. Yeah. So, you know, it's up in the air. You know, yeah. I just think... I, I think they're far. going too far. Too I'd far. agree. I, but I wouldn't call them assholes for that because the intentions are good. I'd say they're misguided. I agree. Yeah. I agree with that. So, you know, sure. quick weigh-in segment here. I'm glad Liam, you stayed. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Um, once again, I know we just said it, but thank you guys both for coming on. Thank you. You know, I'm sure Liam, like we said, he's coming back for more. Tobal has become a regular, so he's going to mm-hmm. be sure. here again. We're all excited to do this, and we're excited for you guys to listen. So for now, those are our takes. Love them or hate them, we're going to keep making them. (laughs) Stay safe, and I'll see you guys on the flip side.